Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the start of the never-ending story, an epic 13th Age adventure with a cast of rotating characters from the Bold Crew, with Slavic as our storyteller. Today's character creation is with Monica and Becca. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. There, you'll find our Discord link. Hello and welcome to 13th Age Character Creation Session, where we create characters for our name-pending pickup campaign. Today with me, I have Becca and Monica, who will be creating their new characters. Character creation in 13th Age is relatively simple, so let's hope we do a good job at it. Becca, let's start. What did you want to create? So I want to make a halfling cleric, which... Those two, <laughs> they feel a little bit at odds just because, like, I mean, it's a halfling. And I mean, there's going to be some halfling clerics, but, you know, it's not the most optimized build. But it's going to be fun. It's going to be all short and hate it when everybody thinks she's cute. <laughs> well, fortunately, in 13th Age, since you get a ability score bonus both from your race and your class, optimization doesn't matter really that much, in my opinion. Oh, okay. Awesome. Yeah, so I know that Tasha's changed this and everything, but like back in the day in DN with D&D, if you chose a class that didn't boost your main stats, that was like a terrible sin. Yeah, and I mean, I've played a lot of D&D, so that's what's in my mind when we're doing character creation. So it's good yeah. to know that like you can just do those flavor choices and it'll be, be like, oh, it's all good. Exactly. Monica, what were you thinking about? I was thinking of making a Twigzog occultist. Yeah, just for those who, for our listeners who aren't familiar with 13th Age, Twigzogs are basically mushroom people. And occultists are another flavor of arcane casters with like karma powers and reality bending. So what I'd like to know before we get into all this stuff about race, class, numbers, and whatever, and all the, all the fun stuff. Let's first see, what do you think your characters are going to be like? What's going to be their personality? What did you pick them? Start with you, Becca. So I, I like the idea of this character being someone who grew up as a healer, grew up as a quote unquote fortune teller, and might be a little bit on the seedy side, might not. So has maybe dabbled in, I mean, again, with the with the fortune teller aspect of it, it's wouldn't be a too too much of a stretch to kind of call her a charlatan <laughs> with that. So so that's generally what I'm thinking. Do you need need a little bit more? No, 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 that's fine. Uh, we okay. can work with that. I mean, there's a lot of room for a unique thing and backgrounds and stuff like that to fill out. And actually, once you see what you roll and you'll start thinking about where to put it, you can sort of flesh the character out more. What about you, Monica? I was thinking for my twig dog, I was reading up on the race and it seems that these mushroom folk are all connected through a root system. So just basic fungal biology, the mushroom that you see above ground is the fruit representing the actual creature that lives beneath, which is a system of uh, roots and uh, things called rhizomes, etc. And they form like a network with their environment. So the playable characters of the twig zogs are usually alienated from that network, as in they gain sentience at the expense of losing that interconnectivity with their own people. I'm thinking mine is a wandering mystic of sorts and a bit of a root hacker. So by that, I mean, my character would have the ability to temporarily integrate her roots back into the micellar network, mycelium network, pardon me, and be able to obtain information about their environment as well as nearby enemies just by connecting through the network and uh, reading basically a chemical analysis of their surroundings. I plan on making my character blind, so that would be the way that they would quote unquote see the world. As far as temperament, I would think that this character would be very curious perhaps obnoxiously so, and a bit foolhardy to the point where the curiosity would walk right into danger, but it's all in the name of knowledge. I'm sure your party will love you. Uh, okay, I think that's wonderful start. So we have our races chosen, 
and our classes. So you guys can put that down in your sheets. And now for the really fun part, determine your ability scores. I already put the formula in the dice roller. And so what's going to happen, it's classic 46 drop lowest. And then you assign the numbers you get into any attribute you want to. So for Becca's character, the most important stat will, of course, be wisdom as a cleric. Or, you know, just put it as a dumb stat and bash people with a I was going to say, says you, God. <laughs> <laughs> and for the occultist, it's intelligence in order to cast their spells. And the rest depends entirely and entirely on you. Okay, that's a very balanced roll for Becca. It's a 14, 14, 13, 13, 12, and 10. And a 15, 12, 12, 10, 9, 7 for Monica. Right, so now your job is putting these numbers into your ability scores. I'll give you guys like a couple minutes to think about it. If you have any questions, please do ask. So... When I am playing D&D, &D, I'm mm -hmm. thinking of you have your your primary cast casting stat, your primary ability, yeah. and then typically you have your secondary secondaries which end up being two. Um yeah. is that similar in 13th age? I would say it depends. It depends entirely if like you can create a cleric that relies on also on strength but you can also make a caster cleric and then just go for defenses i guess right because if you look at their spells they get hammer of faith which is until the end of the battle your basic melee attacks use d12s as their base weapon damage die which is pretty damn great especially since you can have a shield with that so you're just gonna bash people in the head but you also have the arranged at will spell called javelin of faith and at will means it's basically just a cantrip and you can keep throwing it until the end of days so it depends entirely on how you want to play it of course if you plan to take on domains such as war or such then it makes sense to go strength secondary but if not then you can just dump it okay yeah i was i was thinking i liked potentially the trickery domain mm -hmm. or i mean you'll knowledge. get three you'll get three i get domains. three yes you get what three. okay <laughs> i will have to look through that oh man uh, but definitely i strength's gonna be a dump stat <laughs> i never play strength characters unless it's the Makes king <laughs> the king was special yeah he was Still he is. is so um i'm entering mine mm -hmm. and it won't let me enter the seven it keeps switching it to an eight. Oh yeah that's because in point by you can't go lower than eight uh hmm. i'm thinking just let it be eight in the character sheet because minus two is a lot actually as a modifier right i mean because... i put it in strength which i don't really think i'll use for anything so yeah i mean it's always possible that some non-fighting challenge i mean strength is important for stuff like climbing and swimming i'm a mushroom yeah I mean, you can still get swept away in a current or something. Oh, no. But yeah, let's just turn sevens into eights for the sake of simplicity. And after you assign all those scores, add plus two from your race and from your class. It's always written which plus two you get. And you can't take two in the same stat. So if you say took a human cleric, then you can't take plus two wisdom from human and plus two wisdom from cleric. That just doesn't work. So cler clerics either take plus two to wisdom or strength. And let me check halflings. They get plus two constitution or dex. Yeah, I'm trying to decide between dex and con for the halfling. Yeah, I mean, the way defenses are calculated in 13th age, it's pretty mad as in multiple ability score dependent because you always take the middle score from three different attributes okay so for instance i'm looking at since we're talking about armor class mm -hmm. uh for clerics it says 14 plus middle modifier of either con dex or wisdom gotcha plus yeah. the level yeah yeah oh you always add the level there 
Okay. Okay. So all both con and dex is good for that specific. Yeah. Of course, con also increases HP. Yeah, there's that too. I could be hardy. Mm. And since you're uh, just going to be casting, I think shield and heavy armor makes more sense for you. So I have 15, I see, plus whatever you add to it. Monica, your choices are much, or well, your the amount of work you do is much simpler because it's calculated for you. So... Yep, I pumped two into intellect and uh, two into constitution. All right, wonderful. So what's the final stat, guys? Stats, guys? Do you have them? Okay, I have eight in strength, 12 in con, 12 in dex, 17 in intellect, 12 in wisdom, nine in charisma. All right, so a well-rounded mushroom, which is very intelligent and a bit weak physically. I'll show you. Yeah, I bet. We'll see, though. It's going to be fun. All right, that's actually most of the difficult stuff done. Now it's just the calculation of the secondary stuff. Okay, so my halfling is going to have a strength of 10, a con of 14, a dex of 15, intellect of 12, wisdom of 16, and a charisma of 13. All right, also pretty balanced. And okay, I think we can move on to the secondary stuff like AC, MD, and PD. Let's start with Monica since you have it there. It should be there, right? Yep. AC 13, PD 12, MD 13. All right. Well, you'll be very easy to hit. And that's good to know, as I expect to be killing characters left and right, of course. But I'll keep rolling ones the way I do now. So with modifiers, is it still like 10, 11 is 0, 12, 13 yeah. is 1? the modifiers okay. work the same as in 5e. Okay, so she has an EC of 18, a physical defense of 14, and a mental defense of 13. Yeah, makes sense. Clerics are tough. Okay, okay. So now there's, of course, other secondary scores such as initiative, HP, and so on. I'm not sure if you guys checked them already. I don't even see initiative. Initiative is basically dex modifier plus level. Oh, it is there. It's If you look under dex, then the modifier plus level is like highlighted. And that's because of initiative. If you say so. <laughs> yeah, because the way initiative works is you roll a d20 and you add your dex modifier plus level to it. Which actually works like every other d20 game. Okay. Not every other, most of them. But let's not dwell on that. Becca, you want to ask something? Yeah. So I'm I'm looking at doing my hit points, and mm-hmm. it's reading the the level modifier. So in my brain, oh, okay. That's so a there's level one. there's there's a <laughs> level progression chart right above the stats. And so the way Thirteenth Age works, it's kind of like D and D. If you started at level three and ended around level twelve or so, give or take. So basically seven plus com modifier times three for clerics. Okay, so instead of having nine, like I originally thought, I actually have 27 hit points. That's right. Makes more sense. (laughs) Yeah, you're going to have to kind of walk me through this bit. You should have your max HP there calculated. Yep. But okay, so... So I have 21. if, If you look up occultist then you can see that at level one they have six plus their con modifier times three hp your con modifier is plus one so you should have 21 hp right Right. now that the boring part's over and we have all these all this stuff calculated so you guys start with eight recoveries that's for everyone Unless you make some further choices. I'm not sure if your classes have choices in regards to recoveries. So the way recoveries work is usually healing spells say roll a recovery, which you have under your character. It says which your recovery is. For example, for the occultist, you have a 1d6 times level plus con modifier. And that's your recovery dice. So let's say you're a level one. So you have 1d6 plus con modifier whenever you heal. Let's say your druid or cleric casts a healing spell on you. That's what you heal unless it says otherwise. Sometimes it says like 
heal for half of that unless the escalation dies, blah, blah, blah. But we'll figure that out in game. That's no big deal. Okay, so the, I guess, not really all that important for you guys is your attacks, both ranged and melee, which is uh, right under the stat table progression. And the way it works is most melee attacks to hit, you roll strength, plus your strength modifier, plus your level, and you're rolling against the AC of the enemy. For ranged attack, it's dexterity plus level versus the AC. And the weapon depends, again, on the weapon you're using, which is uh, under melee weapons above level progression. It's not really important if you're a cleric that's just using magic, and if you're an occultist just using magic. Honestly, you could just leave it blank. It doesn't matter. Totally honest with you. You guys have at will ways to generate damage. That is not stabbing people or bashing them in the head. So Monica, what are you confused about? Yeah, pretty much everything, right? Well, usually my problem starts when Slavik opens his mouth and my problem (laughs) is immediately remedied when he closes it. So he's just spitting out numbers and shit. I'm like, okay. (laughs) So I understand like my chart. um, But once he's talking about like the modifiers plus your level plus Mm -hmm. the AC of the enemy. That's fine. I'm going to share my screen with you just so you can see it. We want to see what our attacks do. So this is just your basic melee attack. So this is your to hit. So you're basically take your strength modifier, which for you is minus one. You add your level, which is plus one, and you're rolling against the enemy's AC. So what happens is you roll d20 plus this, and you're trying to match or exceed the enemy's armor class. Are you following me so far? Wonderful. Yeah, I'm following you. Yeah, yeah, new problem. Okay, so let's say you actually hit the monster. Then you roll your weapon plus strength damage. So what is weapon plus strength damage? Take a look up here where your melee weapons are. So you take a look. Let's say you're using a dagger. So it's a D4. So you're rolling D4 minus one, since your strength is minus one, damage. And it's important to note that weapon is multiplied by your level. So if you'd be a level two occultist, it'd be 2d4 minus one. If you miss, you just deal damage equal to your level. Range attacks work the same way, except it's dexterity. The weapon is different. It's either a dagger or a hand crossbow, and you don't do damage on a miss. Okay? Okay. That, that okay wasn't super confident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I follow you. I just think Don't it's worry. one of those. I have to do it. Yeah, yeah. It's essentially once it's on the sheet and you know what it does, it's not a problem. It just sounds complicated, honestly, in my opinion. Fair. Yeah. I know for me, it's, again, with, with Slavic opening his mouth and all the words coming out, I'm like, wait, what? What's going on? Yeah, and then I, 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 I mean, start looking at I, it I, and I'm I, like, I've oh. I've done so many characters and everything. Yeah, I get I, it. Shut up. Stop flexing. Then I'm, <laughs> I'm just used to it, you know? That's what it's about. So how do you know what weapons you have? You generally start with gear. That's at first level, blah, blah, blah. Starts with gear, blah, blah, blah. And so dagger or a staff. Dagger or a staff. Staffs are two-handed, deal more damage. Daggers are one-handed, deal less damage. You can have both. It's like 13th Age <laughs> doesn't take complicated approach to gear. right? You so don't it have... could be like a really stabby mushroom with weak arms? I mean, you can. I mean, you'll be useless, but you can. I like it. <laughs> For instance, I'm intending on getting a mace so I can uh, bonk everybody. Ah, wonderful. We're definitely going to need that. Might have gone with the strength domain instead. Really make those bonks hurt. But the point is the bonks aren't supposed to hurt. They hurt morale, not your physique. Can't they hurt both? Okay, sadist. (laughs) Right. We should also determine your guys' talents. So, for example, if you're a cleric... You choose three class talents slash domains, which provide an ability that can be improved by feats, which you get you get one feat every level. And it also gives you an invocation, which is like a special ability you can use as a quick action once per day, per battle, per party. So if there's like a couple clerics, they can't keep 
They can't spam every single invocation, like the same invocation again and again. doesn't matter. I don't think there'll be more clerics than this. So, for example, if you take the domain healing, it gives you the passive ability. When you cast a spell, it lets an ally or you heal using a recovery. It also adds hit points equal to double your level to the recovery. So, like I said about the reco recovery dice that you roll, you roll that plus double the hit points of the level of your cleric, which is cool. And there's the healing invocation, which gives you an additional use of the heal spell, which is nice. And there's like a bunch of others, and they all do different stuff. And generally, the talents define what you want to do with your class, right? Because in your cleric, you can invest heavily into strength domain, war domain, and then just pummel people with your mace using basic basically using your spells as a way to support this fighting style or you can just be a heal bot or like a trickery illusion stuff and let's go to the occultist the occultist at level one has four class talents and gains more on level five and level eight so basically you choose four of these uh, they improve the way you cast spells there's no real bad choice you can choose them based on flavor too if you want to monica let's take a look at the first one which is called brain melting secrets which says that when you hit with a spell attack that deals psychic damage one target of the attack can't attack you during its next turn unless you're the only nearby enemy so it basically has to attack someone else which is really useful for a squishy character like the occultist then you can force them to attack your friendly neighborhood cleric instead that's rude. But useful. You know what also would have been really useful? If the GM would have let me have the shadow tentacle that I wanted. <laughs> Ooh, Otherworld Shadow. Look at that. Maybe that I'll one I want. I, I already knew I was getting that one. <laughs> so, so what is this about a tentacle? Oh, man. So the NPC Twig Zogs get this really awesome, like, psychic tentacle that just comes out and like thrashes people. They also have the ability to use like their hallucinogenic compounds to confuse an enemy and then like call forth like thunder and basically do this ear piercing shrill that just destroys the mind. I think but it's Slavic, like e either or, isn't it? But Slavic was like, no, you can't has. <laughs> Why I not? Mean, because it'd be overpowered as hell. I just tickle the feats. <laughs> You can tickle feats all all you want. That's fine by me. We can make your otherworld shadow the tentacle you summon. Becca, you heard it here. You clip it in case he tries to take it back later. What? No. I mean, I'm completely fine with that. I just don't want you nuking people with your fucking OP race. Hater's gonna hate. Yeah, whatever. Tentacle rapist. Consent is important. I'd always obtain that first. <gasps> this is monster hearts. God damn it, people. Becca, where's your mace? I haven't materialized it just yet. Hey, you're not so, so tough without Joaquin, are you? <laughs> <laughs> I have a question about one of the talents. Mm -hmm. the Which one? Icon channeler. It's all talking about relationships and crap. Oh, yeah. So the way 13th Age has this mechanic called icon relationships, which is your relationship with like super powerful beings. At low level, it just means like their organizations that they rule over, know about you, and stuff like that. But basically, you get to roll them at either at the beginning of each session or each story, and they either give you advantages or they give you advantages, but you have to do something for them. They also give you complications. Boring. So, yeah. At the start of the session or story, I prefer story, honestly, you roll a bunch of D6s for each of the points, and for each six com uh, that comes up, gain like an advantage that you can introduce into the story like oh i know this npc that can help us or whatever it basically lets you influence it somehow and on a five it's oh i know this guy that can help me and i say yeah but he'll want something from you so the way icon channel works is instead of rolling them you inst you basically have three less which means at adventure tier where we begin you get a five to apply to any icon you choose instead of rolling and hoping for the best. Sounds like a lot. I mean, it's a good support talent if you want it. I'd rather melt brains. Well, melting brains is a lot cooler, I'd say. I'm not picking that one because I'm not hurting Becca, but you know what I mean. I mean, 
you can hurt other people in the game too. Who? Who am I going to hurt? I don't know. I mean, Chris will probably have a character, won't he? He can hurt Chris. <laughs> what was that called again? Brain Melter? <sighs> yeah. But it's not. you don't melt the brain of the ally. You brain. You melt the brain of the enemy. The, and Yeah, the enemy to hit them instead. It's basically like it hurts something else in its confusion. Yeah. Basically delete yourself from their minds. All right. I believe I have picked my domains. Okay. Wonderful. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to be a little lame with this one and go with the domain of healing. For one. Oh, how normal. I know. Oh. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. But I mean, it's really it, useful. Yeah, and it fits in my mind if I'm I'm doing like a, a fortune teller who does like that's where she started, mm-hmm. fortune telling herbalist, that kind of thing. Like so there's already that set up in her mind. The second one's gonna be the knowledge lore domain, and the last one's gonna be tricky trickery or illusion. So I assume it's gonna be trickery for her. It doesn't really matter. So I guess as a charlatan, doesn't doesn't matter. Yeah. So so I see the slashes. Is it I pick one or the other or? Yeah, usually, but you can be technically both. There's no mechanical difference either way. It just depends on you and how you want to define it. The flavor of it. Yes. The sauce. I guess. Do you want to quickly explain them? Sure. So the the healing domain is. Basically, hey, you spend a recovery and it helps out with that and it makes it better for for those people. So that's that's pretty straightforward. The knowledge lore, you gain additional background points that have to do with knowledge or lore. Yeah. But within battle, that's really intriguing to me is that you can get a glimpse of the future. So a little bit of that like fortune telling aspect, which is what really drew me to it. So when we start a combat, I roll a D6. And then by the time we get to that with the escalation die, then I I can help out one of my companions by giving them a potential re-roll and a plus two bonus to that. So it just, it helps a little bit. It's not like a big drawn out thing, but you know, glimpses of the future. So I like that. And then trickery is, if I'm understanding this correctly, so if, when I'm engaged with an enemy, as a quick action, I roll a d20. Are quick actions and free actions different? Uh, quick actions are like bonus actions in 5e. Okay. So before the start of my next turn, I give that trick die that I just rolled to a nearby ally or enemy who is about to make an attack roll. Exactly. So if I roll really bad, I give that to the enemy and go, haha, they miss because I tripped up their feet or something as I'm running around them being chaotic or, you know, I leave an opening up for another ally to attack the enemy yeah the worst thing you can do with a trick die is to roll a mediocre roll like an 11 (laughs) that sucks so yeah you either want high or low which is you know given how we roll (laughs) (laughs) it's true oh it'll be good so that that right there really makes me think of the help action that you can take in in 5e but better yeah it also reminds me of what was the wizard divination wizard i think he has something similar Ooh, that's intriguing yeah i mean there's a lot of stupid stuff you can do with 5e with the divination wizard a lot of stupid stuff all right, Monica, what did you choose? You brain melt, are you? Well, let's see. I began with brain melting secrets, which when you hit with a spell attack that deals psychic damage, one target of the attack can't attack you during its next turn. This battle, unless you are the only enemy nearby. I guess you connect them to the, uh, whatchamacallit, the fungi Mycelial network. Mycelial network, yeah. Yeah. I chose Otherworld Shadow. The second I saw this, I had to have it. A shadow self haunts and lurks near you most of the time. Sometimes an actual shadow on a wall, but other times only a presence sense just over your shoulder. Once per day as an interrupt action, negate all damage and effects from an enemy's attacks against you that turn as your shadow absorbs them. Using this talent's power means you avoid damage from a monstrous multiple attacks if it has them. It also works against multiple attacks from mooks in the same mob working on the same initiative count, but not attacks from multiple non-mook monsters mm-hmm. right so just for information mooks you know are just tiny useless creatures tiny ghouls tiny ghouls tiny ghouls from one of our <laughs> games those were mooks 
Yes. And they basically uh, attack as one. Then I had Warp Flesh. When you cast a spell that targets mental defense and the target has a higher mental defense and physical defense, the attack twists and targets the physical defense instead. When a spell twists this way, it deals force damage instead of its normal damage type. And the last one I chose was Stance of Necessity. Twice per day as a quick action, you can gain a plus four bonus to all defenses. The protection lasts until the end of the battle and is in effect while you do not have your focus. The bonus also ends when an attack hits you while you don't have your focus. Could you explain that bit a bit? You mean the one about focus? Yes. Okay, so if you look at your class features, you have focus and spell casting. Wielding your arcane power of reality requires two steps. First, you take time to focus your mind. Once you have this focus, you can cast a spell. Casting a spell generally expends your focus, though there will be exceptions depending on the spell. Gaining your focus requires a standard action, and it draws opportunity attacks just like using a ranged attack. So basically, you use your action to gain focus, and that means you have focus. And then you look at your spells, and a lot of them are stuff like interrupt action to cast. So they have triggers. And the way it works is you can cast the spell whenever the trigger happens. And interrupt actions are done during usually someone else's turn. So you'll have, you'll have your focus, and then in someone else's turn, something happens. Say one of your allies hits a nearby enemy with an attack, and you can use your level one spell, better yet here, which means that the target takes extra damage from, from your, your spell if you actually hit it. Again, the attack roll works the same, except it's your intelligence plus your level, and it's against their mental defense. It's not against their AC, like with when hitting them with a dagger. Is that understandable? Yeah, so I basically have to... It's My attack is reliant upon what happens yeah. around me. Exactly. All your spells are like very all about Symbiotic. what happens. Yeah, exactly. What happens in the battle and either making things more complicated for the enemy or better for your team. Of course, one thing to remember is that you also heal a bit slower or like your healing is delayed, right? You actually heal again, healing at the start of the turn of whoever applied the magical healing effect. So let's say if Becca's cleric used the heal spell, then you'll actually only heal at the start of Becca's next turn. That's a quirk of this class. I mean, you got to absorb it by the roots. It takes a while to get to the top, right? Yeah, Karmic Rebuke is like the basic spell you can use whenever. So if you haven't used your focus on anything, you can just Karmic Rebuke as a quick action and then use your standard action to get your focus back. So regarding the focus, Mm -hmm. at the beginning of my turn, I basically charge myself up and then I have to wait a turn to release it? Mm, It depends on what you want to do. Like generally most of your spells happen on someone else's turn so that's true you usually have to wait to release it but if you find an opportunity to use it right now you can use it right now once you have it you have it don't have to wait you can technically use the standard action to gain uh focus and then you can instantly use karmic rebuke but it's not it doesn't do that much damage it's just if you don't have anything else to do then you know just karmic rebuke them should have played a bard Oh, bars are just like, super complicated. No, just play my guitar and cheer Becca on. <laughs> really? They're complicated? Uh, I think they have like three resources or something. I want to say. I don't remember. I know that they have... Okay, so they have battle cries, they have songs, and they have spells. Okay. But it's not that bad, honestly. Okay, so I guess we have the talents sorted out. Now, I guess we can do stuff. I, I see that you guys have already picked out names. can use those from now on. Becca, what's your name? What's your character's name? Bree Tealeaf. Tealeaf. Okay, Bree Tealeaf. All right, Monica? Mycena. Mycena. All right, wonderful. Bree the Cleric and Mycena the Occultist. Ooh, now now's time for a fun thing. You get to choose your one unique thing. 
Okay, so your one unique thing is a special feature invented by you, the player, which sets your character apart from every other hero. It's a unique and special trait and markedly unusual. The intent is that it provides a special flavor to the campaign and can assist the GM in determining how your character can interact with others in the story in the campaign. It usually doesn't provide any general value in combat or other stuff, but can be used for role-playing. I'll let you guys think about it and just say if you have something in your mind. I know Monica was already thinking about something, right? You're thinking of my background. I know, I know, but like I told you about the one unique thing, so I, I thought you might have something on your mind already. Well, I mean, I do, but I... We can leave I, it for later. It's, it's no it problem. It sounds lame, and I figure if it's going to be a unique thing, it probably should be lame. No, it can, it can be lame. But I'm intrigued. It's definitely not lame, though. Share with the class, please. Yeah, right? <laughs> Peer pressure. This isn't high school anymore. This is college. <laughs> I mean, maybe for you, youngin. Um, <laughs> so I was thinking, since mushrooms have that mycelium network, that my character's limbs could have... So mycelium and rhizomes are basically like very complex root systems that intertangle with themselves. So I figure my character's limbs could be, I guess, malleable in a sense where the character can change the shape and the length of arms and legs and number of fingers and things like that just by consolidating or spreading out the rhizomes. So I guess it would help her, you know, with gripping things, but nothing really fighter motivated. Okay. I mean, yeah, that definitely works. Uh, I don't know why you think that was lame, though. I mean, you built it up, Slavic. That's not lame at all, though. Like, don't give yourself enough credit. Anyway, what's That's Breeze? my line. Breeze, one unique thing. I don't know. This is like the one really? thing that I always struggle with. Um, no, it's, it's no problem. We can do the backgrounds first and we can return to it if you want to. Okay. The, the backgrounds might help me shape that one unique thing more. Yep. Okay. So I think I've explained this like in every 13th age video. So the way backgrounds work is that they're used for your skill checks and is that they represent pieces of your character's history that contributes to your character's history as well as their ability to succeed with non-combat skills. So if you say have the background sailor, then it's obvious that you'd probably know how to swim, do stuff on with a boat. You could probably use it for constitution saves for drinking and stuff like that, right? And for example, the background thief would help you with stealing and with climbing and maybe with lying in certain situations, stuff like that. And that's how they work. You get eight points. You can distribute them between how many backgrounds you want, but you can only assign five points to a single background. The minimum is, of course, one. Okay. And because I have the the lore domain, mm -hmm. I get an additional plus four, but it has to specifically be related to lore. Yeah, exactly. It has to be some knowledge thing, or at least partially. What do the points have to do as far as the backgrounds go with the point You're, differences? Yeah. So the more points there are, the more you add to the dice roll. So let's take our sailor and let's say he has to swim because someone pushed him off into water. So he'd use strength because swimming is like a very strength related, I guess, activity. Then let's say he has plus three, he has 16 in strength. Then let's say he has five in sailor. So we'll add plus five to that. So that's plus eight. And then let's say he's level two. You always add your level to skill checks. So he'd get plus 10 in total to his d20 roll. And let's say the DC is 15, you know, pretty simple. So all he'd need to do is roll a five or higher on that d20 in order to succeed. Basically, the more points there are, the better you will be at the related tasks and the more likely you are to succeed. Usually I recommend just two backgrounds. Either so four, what if I five, created three. my own background? How are yes. you going to gauge that? I mean, we're going to talk about what it means, especially what you'd say it would apply to. And I'd either say, yeah, that makes sense. Or I'd say, no, that's dumb. But it can be anything. And it can be really specific in that you can even create your own, let's say, factions within the world. Say you want to be part of the Crimson Talon Assassins. And then you'd 
put four points in that crimson talon assassin and then we'd create like lore for the world of who these assassins are and then what this skill to it would apply to it's also possible so for example here's what i'm thinking with brie being a charlatan i kind of i honed in on con woman because I feel like that could apply. Like those are very similar. She was a part of a traveling something. I can't quite think of the right word at the moment. Would be like a? Do you want it to be a caravan? Maybe merchants, or do you want it to be like traveling circus or something to that extent? I think I like the idea of uh, a caravan or merchants mm-hmm. more. So she would travel with them and kind of be like help with the superstitious stuff okay yeah that that makes sense i mean you know people often seek them out or seek such people out for like counsel especially say in fantasy settings so so there's that idea would be like the classic crystal ball scenario or would it be like something else the the crystal ball for sure but that's definitely a part of the the act okay okay (laughs) it doesn't do anything (laughs) (laughs) oh And then you see a flash in your eyes like, yeah, I see it there. It's there. You're going to give me lots of money (laughs) in the future. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Say just enough true things based off of the observations of them. And then, you know, stuff like you'll meet your one true love as long as you go out on Tuesdays wearing red shoes. Yeah. All right. And how did Brie come to be like a priest of like all these things like healing and whatever would he be like trained at this or would it be something like he picked up or like he speaks to his deity or something himself uh, or herself so the way that i see this Mm -hmm. is she more or less started learning it okay there could be a more official organization that she's loosely based with but because Mm -hmm. of how she travels and and how she approaches things it's it's very very loose i don't like i'm not even sure she would carry she might carry around like a holy script with her just a little bit just to like more for that lore and knowledge aspect than for anything like personal righteousness okay yeah, that definitely makes sense. And, and speaking of that lore aspect, I'm trying to figure out like how to fit that in. Would she maybe want to acquire more lore, either because of religious reasons or some other reasons? She could be something like a lore thief or uh, maybe uh, someone who sells lore and buys lore from other scholars stuff like that i'd like both of those like her going out of her way to steal stuff (laughs) but i see that okay um so she she can buy and sell lore for sure like that might be more of that front end of her business but if she finds or hears about something specific she would be willing to go steal it from someone okay so maybe if we'd phrase it like lore procurement could be both I think. Okay, okay. Which would definitely help with interrogations and buying, selling, stuff like that. Definitely applicable to a lot of stuff, this sort of background. How many points is the, the four points from your talent? Or do you want to bump it up to five with one of your other points? I'm not sure yet because I was thinking of doing essentially three backgrounds. I know you recommend Yeah, Yeah, yeah it makes sense when you have 12 points. You can't, yeah can't even just um, do two so so having that charlatan be one of them in the, the lore procurement mm-hmm. since, since we talked about the the business aspect would would that stuff fall under the charlatan with this or i, I would i would put it under like the p- procurement part and it's okay. honestly good for there to be some like varied part of the lore so I'm sure Brie wasn't always just a charlatan and just a lore procurer. And I put something a bit different into the third one. So you have some a bit varied set, which can apply to different things. Right. As opposed yeah. to, I know it's so easy for me to be like, oh, here's three similar things. I'm going to put yeah. points into, no. And, and like, then I'm going to ask, which background are you going to use? And I'm like, oh, right. None of these apply. <laughs> so that means, okay, I need to think of a, a third thing that yeah. would be different that will help yeah. round her out a little bit yeah. more. Yeah, we can move on to Monica if she's thought of something. I have. I'm just not sure of the mechanics. No, no problem. We can help with that. Okay. So I so far have it split into three backgrounds. 
Mm-hmm. But I don't know, something tells me that it can all be rolled up into one. So the first thing I have, which I had mentioned to you earlier, is the Mycelium Network Hacker. Mm-hmm. So since my Twigzog is a playable character, it has been disconnected from the overall rhizome network underground. But I mentioned that she could hack into that as a way to see the environment around her because uh, she lacks eyes. Now, what I had planned for this is possibly something that could do with an alchemist slash spy background as well, because, and this is just like chemistry nerd moment. So carbon gets fixed into the soil by plants and fungi, etc. And when fungi consume decaying matter, they help move that carbon around the ecosystem so that other living things, plants, etc. can use that carbon to continue growing. Now, carbon gets dated, historically speaking, to kind of look at the past and see what happened, you know, with fossils, etc. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I thought it would be kind of like a cool mystic thing that the fungus could tap into that rhizome network as long as they're near a place that has soil, obviously. And they can tap into that network and sort of see like glimpses of the past of that area based on the type of carbon that's fixed there. And since that all happens chemically, to me, that made it would make sense to have an alchemy background as well. And that could be used for spying, etc. So I don't know if the network hacker would encompass those other two backgrounds or if the three of them I could be think kept separate. It'd be better if the if the hacker encompassed all of those things, because in my opinion, it's very specific. I try. And you also want something that's a bit more open-ended which will be useful for other stuff right so part of it is you know your mushroom thing the way you can see the path uh, the past of a place but there's also either stuff you want when you want to either convince people or i guess generally something to do with physical interaction with the world i don't know how my senna survives which he which he needs to do or how she lives but if it would apply to her lifestyle then i guess that'd be useful as well for like the second background choice or third one if you want to split it so what i have right now is the hacker thing and then what i was questioning was alchemist slash spy as separate or have that all be together yeah now that i think about it alchemists Spy. All right. What would my Senna be spying on? On whom? Or who did she spy on? Well, depending on what the game is, I'm assuming we could use that as a way to kind of get a leg up on the enemy. If I could just oh, yeah. tap no, the, into the, the that's network. Fine. I just, uh, just the way it's like phrased. Mm-hmm. I want to like specify it, right? Make it maybe like an, it can be just alchemist spy if you want, want, want to be that. Like she's using her knowledge of alchemy to spy on anything and everyone it's completely possible so join those two as like one background yeah Hmm. and i'm trying to figure out something that would help a not very dexterous creature (laughs) be a little bit more nimble i mean the spy thing works i mean i'd allow you to use alchemical spy for like climbing checks because spies also need to do co- covert operations and whatever, at least in games. Okay, then I'll just stick to those two. I guess yeah. I'll pump. Yeah, I, um, I think it's best not to overcomplicate things. <laughs> it's it's actually a uh, really simple system when compared to other D20 games. So I think I'll put five I mean, points into the hacker and I guess the other three into the alchemist spy. Okay, wonderful. That works okay. perfectly. Okay, then. I guess we have our names, we have our abilities, we have our attacks, our races, our classes. You never even went over what we looked like. Yeah, that's that's what I wanted to do right now. Duh. God damn well, it. <laughs> I was actually, for, for my last background, I've thought about it a little yeah. bit. What what do you think of an aristocratic noble? <laughs> So she sure. she grew up in that in that kind of environment, grew a love for learning and like the whole charlatan aspect of it, like that will probably end up being her weakest because she'll just like, oh, this is what this kind of person looks like. And that's that's more of why the um, okay. charlatan kind of comes into play. Interesting. If, if that makes sense. So you want her to be a noble in the past or do you want her to pretend to be a noble? She was a noble in the past. Okay, so did you just not like the life, so she ran away? Yeah, that would that would be basically it. That and the the thrill of being able to make it out on her own. But you know, if something happened, she could always go back to mommy and daddy oh, okay. if she needed to. <laughs> okay, she would hate that though. 
Yeah, who wouldn't? It's better to have your skull caved in by a troll. <laughs> or my mind's melted. <laughs> true, true. So yeah, I, I'm generally thinking about the tone of the game and I want it to be a little on the darker side and I'm going to be using the setting we talked about in our Brian Diaries. But uh, for that, I'm going to need to have you all here. And that also pertains to the icons. So we're going to do those later since that's just writing stuff on three dots on a sheet. It's no problem since the icons are going to be changed. Okay, now the even more important part. Okay, so the way the game is going to start is that you're all going to be part of a very loose organization that you're not really sure what it does, but you do know it hands out tasks to people for money. And there's different ranks of the people inside it, but it's very hush-hush and uh, everything's on a need-to-know basis. And I want Bree and my Senna and then well, maybe the others. Oh, maybe I'm going to do it that way. Always the people that I'm going to do character creation with, those people who had like at least one mission together. So I want you guys to think about like a mission that you guys did together. It can be very vague, nothing too complex, and basically how you feel about each other. And I'll give you guys room to talk about it and just generally think think on it okay so we're part of an organization that gets paid to do stuff yeah it could be anything it can be stealing documents assassination monster slaying there's no re- rhyme or reason to it they just have cash to burn gotcha so given what i've heard about our characters so far it actually works out really well that we got paired up together on something uh did you end up going with the spy background monica yes ma'am alchemist spy. okay okay Ooh. Ooh, I like that. So I, I could see us going after some rare knowledge of some sort, whether that's like like an alchemic formula that somebody really wanted or like information about us, another organization. I can see our characters playing really well in that kind of mission together. Agreed. All right. So you guys went on to secure some information. And would you say the mission went smoothly or did you have some hiccups? Would it even be a 13th age game if there wasn't at least a couple of hiccups? Yeah, a couple of ones. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. Yes. Yes. So uh, a hiccup could involve, all right, let me know if you like this idea, but uh, that that information that we stole from this organization, they're aware of us specifically, this weird, weird mushroom person and a halfling. Right. Speaking of that, you guys can, I guess, describe your characters. I know Monica was hounding me about it. So, you you know, you can even use uh, the organization's uh, <clears throat> description chart. Like, we're looking for a halfling looking like this and this and this weird mushroom thing, which looks like this and this. So, you know, let's start with my Senna. <sighs> okay. So for my Senna, I used different types of fungi to come up with a look that I appreciated. So I'm thinking she's about five feet tall. Her body is a very pale, powdery blue color and completely translucent. So she can, you know, if you look at her and she's not wearing armor, you can actually see her absorbing nutrients and how they move through her system. Her face is always kind of shrouded by a shadow because she does wear the really big mushroom cap hat, which always looks kind of dewy and moist, but it just has the texture of like a jellyfish. The inside is very gelatinous and different shades of blue that are always moving around between like a really bright cobalt or a bright cyan and constantly shifting colors. Kind of like a trippy thing to look at. As far as eyes go, you know, if you do see her face, all you're going to see is two button eyes, which have like a faint glow to them, but they're completely useless. She's blind. As far as clothing, she would use like rhizomes or tree roots and fashion them into armor, but she prefers to have her arms and legs out, which again, is just different types of like uh, clear and white roots that she molds into hands and arms so she can move around because she tends to be a little bit on the slower side. And as far as any accessories off her 
mushroom helmet type thing. She has a veil, which looks like a big, bright uh, cheddar cheese orange lattice that goes from head to toe that covers her. And again, that just gives her a little bit of a sense of anonymity. And if it's dark out, you'll see that certain parts of her body that you can see through the armor are bioluminescent, but only a faint glow. Right. Terrible at stealth. Got it. Kid, I kid. All right. What's Bria like? So I, I'm trying to balance the idea of that traveling fortune teller with cleric. And it, I'm, I'm struggling just a little bit because whatever I think of a cleric, I think, you know, heavy armor, they have a shield. It's very obvious that they're ready for combat. But on a day-to-day level, I don't see her being obvious about it. So she's probably about... Let's see, halflings, I'd imagine about four feet tall, maybe a little, like somewhere in that range, four yeah. feet to four and a half. Yeah, I think four feet's actually pretty tall for a halfling. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Well, then the as far as max I height yeah. would be four feet. Then she has, she definitely lends into what she thinks is like, would be a tribal-esque fortune teller. So she's got the the big hair kind of like pulled back and done up in just like a, almost a, I can't think of the name of it, but a head, not a headband, but it would sit back further on her head. Chief, like on the, I don't know. Yeah, we, we could do a handkerchief yeah. that yeah. too. Like that would fit very well. And it would have like those, those gypsy coins that kind mm-hmm. of hang from it. So there's always that little bit of clitter class with it she'd uh she would be a brunette and i guess um if i again going with the the stereotypical fortune teller i can see her actually mostly wearing skirts but maybe it's like easily removed and then underneath those big billowing skirts is her leg armor for instance so she's wearing it but it's hard to tell day to day that she's for when the clients don't want to (laughs) pay exactly exactly oh you're gonna be like that i'm gonna get you (laughs) I just imagine her running after someone throwing those javelins of faith. (laughs) Excellent. Yeah, I got to take off the skirt so I can run quickly. (laughs) Try to think, is there any other details that would be... Anything you want, but I think it was pretty specific. Okay, okay. Character descriptions is always like, it's like the very last thing that I think about. So Yeah, me me too, honestly, usually. (laughs) As evidenced. Hey. That was at him, not at you. Oh, okay. Yeah. God damn it, Monica. This is 13th age. You're going to lose so many characters. I don't even remember what your first one looked like. I, I'm a very visual person. If I don't see it, it doesn't happen. <laughs> okay. So there is one thing we forgot, or rather I forgot, it, which is since you're level one, you have one adventure feat. So you can either choose from general feats or the one specific to your class. So you can take a look at your class and some of your abilities will have adventure feet under them. For example, I can take the occultists, delayed magical healing. The adventure feat is your baseline hit points are seven instead of six. So basically this would be a seven instead of a six. And that's all they do. They basically add minor improvements to abilities you already have. And you gain one each level. So you can pick one now. Okay. I looked at my cleric feats and I'm like, okay, that kind of looks cool. That looks cool. But then I got to halfling and I saw lucky break, which when you roll a save, including checks to disengage and death saves, you can re-roll a natural two and take the second result instead. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that would be appropriate. Yeah, it's it's appropriate, but it's not. I mean, it's whenever you roll a two on, on saves. So it's like a one in 20 chance, 5% for you to use it. Right, right. And um, I, I thought it was really interesting that it's specifically with the twos because oh, yeah. in... you never reroll ones in 13th age. Always uh, twos. That's which is fair because well, having like, that there, there are abilities that can reroll any roll and then you can reroll anything, but usually there's never reroll ones, there's always reroll twos. I I think I'm leaning towards the the lore adventurer feat which once per day you can change one of your skill checks involving knowledge or lore in this case to a natural 20 instead. It says interpret it loosely as loosely as your GM allows and GMs be generous. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. You can definitely take that. The only one that looks interesting to me is the one for the warp flesh. 
Yeah. So when I fine. cast a spell that twists, I get temporary HP equal to my wisdom modifier, which at uh, fifth level and eighth level doubles and triples. So it could be useful. So question, mm-hmm. as I'm looking at the, the domains, I see like things like invocation of healing. Is that something that I just have because I have that domain? Yes. Do I have to take something? Okay. So if you look at the class talents, it provides an ability and it provides an invocation. Invocations are great actions. All right. So today we have created Pre and Mycena. And hopefully they'll go on a great adventure together and not get killed horribly. Maybe they'll just get killed not horribly. Rude. We're not going to get killed at all. We'll kill you. Oh. Oh, really? We might want to wait until we're high level for that. <laughs> yeah, we can put that in the next snowflake. Uh, characters fighting the GM. Yes. No, you have to do that cooking thing. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, there's no snowflake scheduled. <laughs> it's just so much stuff to play. Because we normally released it on April 1st. Yeah, what happened there? Who knows? But yeah. Okay, guys. We survived. Like our style and ready to jump into a longer term game? Make sure to check out Missouri Crossing, our Down Darker Trails Call of Cthulhu 7th edition game. Starting in the Dakotas in the 1800s, our players have just settled in what will be known as Bismarck, North Dakota, Missouri Crossing. 